0: Psalm 73 to begin our service, so.
1: A Psalm of Asaph. Truly God is good to Israel, Mm -hmm. to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped. For I was envious of the arrogant, when I saw the prosperity of the wicked, for they they have no pangs until death. Their bodies are fat and sleek. They are not in trouble as others are. They are not stricken like the rest of mankind. Therefore, pride is their necklace. Violence covers them as a garment. Their eyes swell out through fatness. Their hearts overflow with folly. They scoff and speak with malice. Lofty, they threaten opposite oppression. They set their mouths against the heavens, and their tongues struts through the earth. Therefore, his people turn back to them and find no fault in them. And they say, how can God know? Is there knowledge in the Most High? Behold, these are the wicked, always at ease. then i discerned their end truly you set them in slippery places you make them fall to ruin how they are destroyed in a moment swept away utterly by terrors like a dream when one awakes o oh lord when you rouse yourself you despise them as phantoms when my soul was embittered when i was pricked in heart I was brutish and ignorant. I was like a beast towards you. Nevertheless, I am continually with you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel, and afterwards you will receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. For behold, those who are far from you shall perish. You put an end to everyone who is unfaithful to you. But for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the Lord God my refuge, that I may tell of your works. And uh, if you would bow our heads and... Let me lead you in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, when we look around our world right now, this is what we have is the same as Asaph had. We see wickedness um, flourishing. It looks like it does not have, doesn't have a rebuff. It doesn't have anything pushing back against it. It looks like they're getting away with murder left and right. God, and our hearts can do the same. We can envy it. We can want what they have.
2: Um,
1: God, change our hearts. Help us look as the psalmist says.
2: um,
1: Be in your sanctuary. Look from your perspective and see that they are on a slippery territory. They're about to fall. God, give us hearts that see like that. God, help us look towards you and not towards these things. God, I pray for Pray for our minds, God, uh, help us be devoted. Amen.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: I invite you to stand for our song service today, and as you feel led, remain standing. Um, there's no greater power than the power of our God. Amen? Amen. In Psalm 104, 24, um, which is actually one of the verses for tomorrow, for the first day of camp, it says, O Lord, how manifold are your works. In wisdom, you have made them all. The earth is full of your creatures.
4: For
1: us, Terry Van Eaton.
0: I'm going to ask you to sit down for a moment. I'm going to ask for those of you who have anything to do with the upcoming camp to stand. If you are contributing, if you are working, if you are praying, if you are teaching, cooking, cleaning, We want to commend you to the Lord for this coming week, which can change the lives of children forever. You are on a mission, and we are um, enabling you through the support of this body in prayer, through this week, and may God bless this effort. So will you pray with me? Father, uh, thank you. Thank you, Lord, for these people who have set aside their lives, desires, times, wishes to serve. And in that serving, to share the love of Jesus Christ with wet cement children who are developing, growing, working, and learning. So may this week bring honor and praise to the name of Jesus Christ as we pray in his name. Amen. You may be seated.
3: Alrighty, well one of the things that we uh, announced last week is that uh, Caleb and Christina Succo are here and uh, you know it's, it's really interesting, Caleb and I were dialoguing and, and uh, you know I always I always want to call him Mark because I went to school with his dad in, at seminary so, but anyway it's good to have Caleb and Christina here and we've invited them to share and they just have just a really small window of time that they're that they're here and when are you heading back? 24th of August. So they're heading back to the U- Ukraine. And uh, we just really encourage you to lift them up in prayer and continue to pray for them. In fact, can I pray for you guys right now? And then, and then, you know, uh, we, you know, we, we hear, uh, well, Paul Morgan, he speaks in 45 minute block. So, uh, you know, so I I just want you to know that, that the, the pulpit is yours and you don't get to stand here. You can stand up here. So, all right. So let me just pray for Caleb and Christina. Uh, God, we just want to say thank you for Bringing them home, Lord, them and their family, and we just ask that you would grant have granted them rest as they have uh, shared and, uh, Lord, as uh, you have led them. God, thank you for protecting them and keeping them safe. Father, we do pray for the, the Ukrainian church, Father, over there. God, we ask that you would guide, protect, and bless them as you have already. Lord, we know that times are tough. We know that it is it is rough to be there right now. Uh, God. We understand that you are sovereign, that you are in control of all things, that you are moving the courses of history of mankind, Lord, everything in your uh, worthy hands, Father, you are, you are uh, moving, moving all things uh, in accordance to your will, and we just want to say thank you. Lord, we pray that you would bless them as they share with us, God, as they uh, just share their hearts and the word that you have laid upon their heart, uh, God, with them. So we just, we just give them to you, Lord. We thank you for them. And we just ask your blessing upon them right now. In Jesus' name, amen. Caleb, will you come?
4: Thank you. Well, when we, walk, when we walked in, uh, we were very warmly greeted, and somebody asked me if it was my first time here. I said, no, I've been coming on and off for about 15 years. And we're so gra- grateful to be here with you guys. And like Pastor Dan said, don't have a lot of time here in the States, uh, but um, it worked out for us to come here, so we're very grateful for that. It's been an uh, interesting start for the, of the year for us, half a year for us or more, uh, since the war began on February 24th, and so first of all, we want to thank you for your prayer support, I think is the most important thing, because when the bombs are falling, you don't really care about anything else, and there's nothing else that can keep you safe except for God, and he works through those prayers. Amen. And so those have been very precious to us and been felt by us and and much needed for us uh, since, especially since February 24th. I want to share with you a little bit about basically what has been happening in the past uh, year or so. Uh, And also we get a lot of questions too about, well, you know, watching the news, is it real? Is what's going on there? And so just try to give you a little bit of update about the situation. But most importantly, to focus on what God is doing in hard, very difficult, and dangerous circumstances in Ukraine. Because that is what you don't see on the news, right? And certainly God is doing a lot of things. But I also, uh, if I can get this all in, share from Psalm 37 with you as well. Uh, which is, is also important. I want to have Christina come up, though, and just share a quick update about the family as we begin. I think we have a picture of the family. Yeah, I think you can use this mic. Just go ahead. Okay,
2: well, I uh, I want to greet you all, and uh, we're very happy to be here. We have some very good memories of being here every time and made lots of good friends. And I would like to bring you greetings from Ukraine. Even though it's at war, God's work is still work is still going on there. Uh, One thing that I wanted to uh, show, uh, can we return to that slide that was before? uh, We said Caleb Suko. Okay. You see how it says to the Ukraine? Don't do that. (laughs) (laughs)
1: Um,
2: uh, Because the Ukraine refers to a territory, not a country, not a sovereign state. So this is what Russia does. They say the Ukraine to diminish the value of the country. So if you hear that, that's <laughs> don't, don't, let that, don't let that fool you. It's like we say Canada or we say um, France. We don't say the France or the Canada. So Ukraine is its country, and this is how, you know, if you want to be liked by Ukrainians, <laughs> you, you would say Ukraine. Um, but I would like to share with you, um, when we left Ukraine on February 24th, we had our three children with us. Noelle, who is 17, Anastasia, who is 15, and Nicholas, who is 12. And um, and we grabbed our co-worker, single uh, gal, Holly. She is a doctor. And so we crammed into our car, and we took for the border. And, um, you know, ever since COVID started, the whole school, the kids' school was just all online, and it's been very difficult for our kids. And the year before the war started, we thought, oh, good, COVID is <laughs> dying down. We can go back to normal school, but no. So um, it was difficult for our children these past several months. You know, after the war started, to continue school online because all the kids in their small missionary school went all over the globe, and so uh, it was difficult to find time for them all to meet together. So we're, we just really appreciate your prayers for them because we all waited for the school year to be over finally, and um, and God has provided for for them for the kids. Because our two girls, who are 17 and, six, and, and 15, um, they're turning a year older this fall. They're both staying in the states, and we decided that it's it's high school. These grades are going to be important for them, and they um, they're going to be going to a Christian school, which is a blessing to us. And uh, the school gave us a discount, so that <laughs> that is a double blessing. And they'll go to school with their cousins. That's a triple blessing. So. So And, you know, it's nice to know that your children go to school where the teachers actually pray for them. They actually get to know them, and it's a Christian community. It's a family. It's not just like a cold place where you just send your kids and you hope that they don't learn anything bad, but it's a place where you know that the, the teachers will invest in your children. So we are really blessed, although we are sad to leave them here, but we will see them hopefully in December because they have tickets to go back to Ukraine in December. And they really want to spend Christmas with us, so that will be a blessing. But Nicholas, who is 12, he's still going to seventh grade, so he is going with us. He will be on a uh, adventure of a lifetime <laughs> with with us. So please pray for him because it's different for him. You know, being the youngest, always you, used to living in a family with lots of people, all of a sudden he's, he's down to being the only one, so the chores will be his. and <laughs> I, I know he's not looking forward to that part, but you know that's you know there's, there's a time to learn how to do tour as well. So, so this will be the time. And this is, perhaps this is God's leading in helping us to maybe spend more time with him and, and invest more in him because usually the youngest children, you know they just kind of <laughs> grow with everybody else, but maybe this will be a good time for us to be able to uh, concentrate more on, on him and on his character. And, of course, Caleb and I, uh, as Caleb mentioned, are going back uh, August 24th. August 24th is Ukraine's Independence Day. And it's a very big holiday. And as you can imagine, Russia will not be silent on that day. So so please pray. I mean, we're not going to land in Ukraine on that day. We'll, we'll be, you know, landing on the 25th in a neighboring country of Moldova. But, you know, we can expect bombings in, in, you know, public places and people will celebrate. So Russia will try to um, somehow mess that up. So, so please pray that people stay safe, that God will work in the hearts of people through that time. So thank you very much.
4: Yeah, so we can go ahead on the, the next slide there. Um, I think it's just a fam- picture of the family. Uh, so pray for our family, because it is a big change for our family. We weren't expecting to leave the girls behind, uh, and for Nicholas as well to be able to make that transition um, back, to, back to Ukraine on his own. By the way, Christine didn't mention, but can go back one slide, actually, uh, the cat. Uh, I, I mean, it doesn't seem very spiritual, right? But it's actually, uh, pets are, are important, and we had to give up the cat, because uh, you know, refugees and wars and stuff don't go well with pets. And so the cat is now a refugee cat, actually, in Moldova. And we found a nice family. But that was actually really difficult for the kids, uh, as well as for maybe the adults, too. Uh, so lo- lots of changes. Just, just pray for us in, in all those changes that uh, our family's gone through because of the war. Um, okay. Uh, so I just want to share with you, just going back a little bit. I know we were here last year, so we told you a little bit about our international church. Uh, last couple of years we've been a main focus of our ministry has been planting international church God bless greatly and and the church was established and we saw people come to faith in Christ and we were able to minister to people from all over the world uh, North Africa West Africa India Middle East and it was just the opportunities to actually share the gospel with people who were not just outside of the church, but completely outside of Christianity. I've never had that many opportunities in my life. And so last fall, we actually celebrated our first anniversary. And shortly after that, we actually had a baptism. Go to the next slide. We had a baptism uh, in December. Um, You can show the next slide. Uh, In December in the Black Sea, some of you probably saw the update from that. Uh, It was above freezing, I think. Uh, But, uh, I mean, you know, we could get in the water. At least the water wasn't solid. And, you know, praise God for that. That was such an encouragement to the church. And uh, the man that I baptized, um, he was just so excited to be baptized. He said, Hey, I don't care what the temperature is. Let's go, you know. And I offered baptism for a couple other people. They said, I think we'll wait just a little bit longer to, 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 uh, into the waters of baptism, but but that was a great blessing to the church at that time. And of course, uh, you know, all throughout the last year, we were focused on on ministries, and we were able to uh, reach out to the international community. Uh, next slide shows uh, this is our Russian club. I think it was the last Russian club we had before the war started uh, in January, I believe. And uh, all all of these people, let me check here except for our two Ukrainians in that picture, they are all out of the country now. So all of our internationals are out of the country. And this is just a small portion of of our Russian club. But here, uh, mainly, we had a lot of Indians uh, and a lot of uh, West Africans. Those are the main uh, people who attended our our Russian club. So, of course, a lot changed. On February 24th, we were kind of anticipating that something would start. Uh, At first, it really didn't seem – it seemed like it was just a lot of bluffing. But definitely by the 23rd of February, I think I told Christina. I said I think something's going to happen tonight, and we saw a lot of signs that something was going to happen, and certainly it did. And about five o'clock in the morning, we were woken up by a phone call on the 24th of February. Uh, still dark outside, and our actually our regional director he told us that he uh, the war has started, missiles are on their way uh, to your city, and we quickly got up and. It was still quiet outside, and it was hard to believe that there was any kind of war starting. And we tried to figure out, okay, what do we do now? Of course, we had a plan. We had a contingency plan that we had created with our team and with our uh, mission agency. And, but still, we didn't see anything outside. We didn't hear anything, but it wasn't maybe 15, 20 minutes. And as we were in the living room, Christine looked out the window. and She could see a rocket, a missile flying past our living room window. And of course, it's still dark outside. And, and about 30 seconds later, then the boom and the building shaking. And then we knew that we were at war. But at that point, it was, it was dark. It was unclear what was happening. We didn't know if Russian troops had landed on the beaches. We didn't know if tanks were coming into our city. Uh, there were a lot of booms going off outside. We didn't know where these, these rockets and missiles were landing. And so we decided to stay in place at least until we could sort of figure out better what was going on. And around um, closer to noon that day, things quieted down a little bit. And since it was light, we could still, we could see. We could see there were no Russian troops uh, entering our city, as far as we could tell by the news feeds we were watching. And so then we decided to leave. And so we left with our family and our co-worker. And the, the trip to the border is... Uh, it's, it's actually generally about an hour, forty, even maybe less than an hour to the border. Uh, it took us about 22 hours. Uh, and the last, really last, about three miles is where most of those 22 hours were. Uh, there were a lot of people leaving that day, and thankfully we were able to get out. So by the time, from the time we left our house, the time we got to Kishinyo, where we had co-workers and uh, we, we stayed with them for a few days, it took us about 24 hours in the car. Uh, So we were a little tired and a little hungry. Uh, Actually, this is a picture of them meeting us uh, as we crossed the border finally in Kishinev, Pastor Mihai and um, and our co-worker there in in Moldova. And so, of course, we came and and we kind of breathed a sigh of relief, but then we immediately turned around. And as you see here in the next slide, we began uh, receiving, on the receiving end of Refugees. And because we had worked with the internationals in Odessa, we primarily began receiving internationals, Africans and Indians and and others. And, you know, that was really tiring work uh, because many of them, you know, they don't know the language. They don't have contacts in Moldova. They weren't even sure if they could get into Moldova because they need visas. Well, after the war started, then they opened the borders so anyone could get through. People could even get through without passports on an occasion. And, and so we began receiving, and people began giving my phone number out to all these internationals. And people call me uh, in the middle of the night and say, listen, I'm crossing the border. Where I go? And so thankfully, we had a small church we worked with there, and we could house people uh, for uh, a night or so and then send them on further because at that point, you could not fly out of Moldova either because the airspace was closed because of the war. Uh, so uh, next slide. So we see uh, th- these are some of our Indians, some of my Indian students actually. Uh, once they came out in Moldova. In fact, one of my Indian students called me about one o'clock in the morning. Uh, I don't know, maybe a week or so after the war begins. Okay, we finally decided we're going to leave. Things are getting bad here, and and so so we're on the on the border. Tell us where to go. And I said, okay, well, how many people do you have? So well, we got about forty-five. <laughs> like, okay, well, like literally church we were working with here, you know, they had a, uh, their auditorium was probably a third or a quarter of this size, and I was like, okay, well, I think we have about 40 blow-up mattresses. Maybe we can somehow make it work. They said, well, that's just an R-bus. We have three buses. There's 150 people. I said, wow, okay, I'm not sure. I don't know, but thankfully, we were they were able to find um, housing in the military barracks in Kishanyao. And so I went to visit them, uh, talked with them, prayed with them. And, and these these are all Hindus or Muslims. okay? All Hindus or Muslims. And they're so grateful for a pastor to come and visit them. So grateful for me to pray with them and for them in the name of Jesus Christ. And, and these are people that, some of them I've been able to sit down in detail, share the gospel through the scriptures. And so God has continued to give us wonderful opportunities and we continue to stay in contact with many of these refugees, international refugees, who are now all over Europe, all over, well, back in India, back in Africa, Iraq. Uh, In fact, one of the first calls I got when the war started was a call from Iraq from one of our Muslim contacts. Say, hey, are you guys okay? Where are you? The next call I got was a call from Egypt from one of my Muslim students. So said, listen, just want to let you know you have a second home in Egypt. Come to Egypt. I've got an apartment for you. You can stay here for your whole family. And so God has given us really tremendous opportunities to be able to share our lives and share the gospel with uh, people from many different countries and many different faiths uh, through the international church. Well, we had a baptism planned, and we weren't going to let Putin put a stop to our baptism, and so in after about three or four weeks, about a month after the war started, all of our internationals came out, and we realized that, and so we began to shifting our focus a little bit. We wanted to visit some of our refugees, and we had a group of refugees living in a camp in Romania. And so um, on the next slide, you see this is Rhoda from uh, Nigeria, and I had the privilege of baptizing her in the mountains of Transylvania, where we had sent about a dozen uh, Nigerians Uh, to a Christian camp where they lived for three months absolutely free. And and so baptized her and then uh, went back to um, Bucharest, Romania. The next slide. This is Leo. He's from India. He is from a Catholic background and uh, baptized him in Bucharest, the Central Baptist Church there. Before he went off, he works on a cruise ship. And so that was also a blessing. Well, we also began realizing that one of that we really need to get back into Ukraine and so beginning in April pretty much every weekend I went back or Christina and I went back to Ukraine to encourage and also to bring aid and so as you can see in the next slide here these are uh, some of the brothers from one of our churches there we were able to sit down and, and encourage them and just through God's word and um, praying with them and, and also just just helping them in the ministry and helping them on Sundays. We also, as you can see here, we're able to bring in aid. Next slide. And every time we come in, bring in as much aid as we can. We've got a little trailer to pull behind our van. And we brought in literally tons of things like uh, rice and noodles and these, these presents for kids that were provided by one organization there in Moldova. And the amazing thing was the response. You know, the response, the spiritual response is just, I've never seen anything like that in my life. Um, next slide here. This is one of our churches in Odessa. They began doing evangelistic outreaches every single day of the week, about three or four days after the war started. And they had people there every single day. And they filled their facility every single day. And they preached the gospel every single day. And there were so many people that they eventually they went to, a, they, they got another facility, and they began doing it in two facilities. And now after about two months of that or so, they had to scale back a little bit because it just, they only had, this is a church, a small church of about 35 people. And you have to understand, half of those people left when the war started. And now it's a church that's serving hundreds, literally hundreds of people every week. And, and feeding them, helping them with some basic food items because part of the war that, again, you probably don't see on the news is the economic impact of the war. And part of this war is economic. And it is trying to block the ports and everything To And so people have lost jobs. Prices have gone up. And there's just a huge need for basic food items. And so those churches that were able to pivot and do that, you know, they were able to reach people in their need and then also be able to reach them with the gospel. And so, of course, I don't have a picture here, but just recently, in fact, this church had a baptism of 12 people. And that was... There's like, like I said, about 15 people left in that church. So They baptized, they like doubled, you know. And and literally I was there, you know, and, and I thought, well, you know, they, they probably feed the people. They do like a token, you know, 15, 20 minute little, you know, gospel service. No, they don't. They do an hour, hour and a half, two hour service. And people come and they sit the whole thing because they want to listen. And so it's just amazing to see. And I believe that God is actually opening the doors spiritually in a way that has I've never seen there. It's a little bit similar maybe to the early 90s when communism fell, but different in the fact that uh, there's a lot more danger and probably the need is, is, is even much greater than it was in the early 90s. And so tremendous opportunity, and that's why, of course, we felt that we needed to come back. We came back in June uh, just to get some rest because it, you know, it is a tiring uh, ministry to minister to refugees and then going in and out uh actually our whole family was back in ukraine in may for some time but we did feel that we needed a little bit of rest so we came back rested a little bit and now we're visiting some churches before we go back but we feel like it's important for us to be there at this time uh, although some people say is it dangerous yeah of course it's dangerous but but does that stop us from going where the gospel needs to be preached and so 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 we're back i mean we're going to go back um in a few weeks And we ask that you pray for us, because there is some danger there. In fact, there was um, a missile hit this morning in in Odessa region, not far from our city. So I do want to share with you, though, from Scripture, though, and um, actually Psalm 31. I know, I think I saw you guys have been going through the Psalms as well. And these have been so important and so vital to us spiritually uh, during this time. Because one of the things that we find out is that many of these Psalms were written during times of war, right? And that comes out, and and of course the spiritual battle comes out in them, but also just the regular physical battle and the dangers that go along with this. What a wonderful psalm that was read here this morning. Uh, I almost thought, man, I mean I need to preach on that psalm, right? Uh, it's so practical in these situations where we find ourselves helpless. Where we realize that the things going on around us we can't control and they are dangerous. And so what do we do? We have to turn to God. And so I want to begin actually just by reading. I want to read this psalm, Psalm 31, a few verses here. And and then make some comments on it. It says this, In you, Lord, I have taken refuge. Let me never be put to shame. Deliver me in your righteousness. Turn your ears to me. Come quickly to my rescue. Be my rock of refuge, a strong fortress to save me. Since you are my rock and my fortress, for the sake of your name, lead and guide me. Free me, Keep me free from the trap that is set for me. For you are my refuge. Into your hands I commit my spirit. Deliver me, Lord, my faithful God. I hate those who cling to worthless idols. As for me, I trust in the Lord. I will be glad and rejoice in your love, for you saw my affliction and knew the anguish of my soul. You have not given me into the hands of the enemy, but have set my feet in a spacious place. Be merciful to me, Lord, for I am in distress. My eyes grow weak with sorrow, my soul and body with grief. My life is consumed by anguish and my years by groaning. My strength fails because of my affliction. My bones grow weak because of all my enemies. I am the utter contempt of my neighbors and an object of dread to my closest friends. Those who see me on the street flee from me. I am forgotten as though I were dead. I become like broken pottery, for I hear many whispering terror on every side. They conspire against me and plot to take my life, but I trust in you, Lord. I say, you are my God. My times are in your hands. Deliver me from the hands of my enemies, from those who pursue me. Let your face shine on your servant. Save me in your unfailing love. Let me not be put to shame, Lord, for I have cried out to you. But I let the wicked be put to shame and be silent in the realm of the dead. Let their lying lips be silenced, for with pride and contempt they speak arrogantly against the righteous. How abundant are the good things that you have stored up for those who fear you that you bestow in the sight of all those who take refuge in you. In the shelter of your presence, you hide them from all human intrigues. You keep them safe in your dwelling from accusing tongues. Praise be to the Lord, for he showed me the wonders of his love. When I was in a city under siege, in my alarm I said, I am cut off from your sight, yet you heard my cry for mercy when I called to you for help. Love the Lord, all his faithful people. The Lord preserves those who are true to him, but the proud he pays back in full. Be strong, and take heart, all who hope in the Lord. Amen? Amen? So this is a very powerful psalm and very practical, in particular, in our circumstance. He talks about being in a city under siege here, right? And we experience that, we have experienced that. And unfortunately, he talks about these terrors, these people in the center of this psalm that talks about these terrors on every side. And we get this, this kind of dark, foreboding sense of... Of, of helplessness as we read through this psalm and unfortunately we live in a world today where there are many terrors and we can't really avoid those things and so we can all in a way connect to what david is saying here as we have experienced things or will experience things that threaten us that are a danger to us that are a danger to us just physically and we feel that we have no way to really escape in our own strength and The abilities that God that we have just to humanly and so this is an interesting psalm because it really pours out David's emotions as he is in a tight spot literally and in a dangerous air spot and so I want to begin by just looking at really the middle of the psalm because like a lot of psalms it builds a climax to the middle and on each side we see sort of a building and sort of reasoning. And, and so we see in verse 13, he says these words, I hear many whispering terror on every side. And if you look at how David builds up to that verse, starting in verse 9, he uses a lot of interesting and foreboding and, and dark words let me list a few of them for you. Words like distress, grief, sorrow, sighing, failing strength, bones wasting away, reproach, dread, dead, broken vessel, affliction, anguish. I mean, this is some really dark stuff. And they can all be found as we build up to verse 13 here. And he says, people are saying tear on every side. And I think, one important thing for us to recognize is that if we do feel this way at some time, that's not necessarily a sin, is it? David is never condemned for this. It's just a fact of sometimes the situations we find ourselves in in this broken world. The most important thing is how do we really react to it? So that initial feeling of terror is not a sin. And It's important for us to recognize that if you find yourself frightened or terrorized, don't feel guilty about that. Sin is not in the emotion, but rather in the reaction and the decisions that we make later. So how are we going to react to that? What are we going to do? In fact, sometimes that terror can be a good thing if it helps us to turn to God, right? So what is terror? As we think about this, terror is a strong feeling of fear and helplessness in the face of danger. A strong feeling of fear and helplessness in the face of danger. Now, it may be only perceived danger. Maybe the danger is not really there. But the Hebrew word for terror here is is a word by gib, which refers specifically to Actually, the places we find it in the Bible refer specifically to, to terror that's experienced on the battlefield. Specifically when people are surrounded and there's no way out. Let me share with you just a couple of verses where we find this. Jeremiah 46 verse 5 says, What do I see? They are terrified. They are retreating. Their warriors are defeated. They flee in haste without looking back, and there is terror on every side, declares the Lord. And so here is connected with defeat. Isaiah 31 9 says, Their stronghold will fall because of terror. On the side of the battle standard, their commanders will panic, declares the Lord, whose fire is in Zion. Terror is connected with panic. It can lead to panic, depending on our, on our reaction. And then the final one, Jeremiah 20, verse 4, says. For this is what the Lord says: I will make you a terror to yourself and all your friends. That's that's really bad, one, isn't it? You don't even need the outside world. You're you're so bad. You're you're just you're just afraid and scared of what's happening to yourself. That's a person without God. So there's a couple of things I think we need to keep in mind when we think about terror. First of all, terror is multiplied in the absence of truth. And notice how David works through this psalm and he comes back to the truth of who God is and what he does and the truth of his nature. And in fact, notice in verse 13 where he says, terror on every side. Who's saying that? People are saying that. God's not saying that, right? People are saying that. Turn the news on. Terror on every side, right? Sometimes just talk to your friends and neighbors. Terror on every side. It's people, we like to talk about terror. We like to talk about ominous and threatening things that might happen and maybe never will happen, but seems like they could happen. So it is the people that are saying terror on every side. and I think we need to be careful about what we listen to. Because if we stop this psalm at verse 13, that would be a very depressing psalm, wouldn't it? Thank God that it doesn't stop there. So terror is multiplied in the absence of truth. Terror... Also, though, should never dictate our decisions or our actions. Again, like I said, David very openly shares his feelings here. He experienced terror on some level. We all do. Yet in the end, we see that he did not allow those feelings of terror or fear to dictate his behavior. He turns to God. And he says in the last verse, he says, Be strong and take hope all who hope in the Lord. And that's ultimately what we need to do when we experience terror is to be strong and take heart and put our hope in the Lord. And then the other thing I want to note about terror is that terror is a weapon of the devil, right? And so if we look at 1 Peter 5, 8, it says, Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a lion doing what? Roaring. Why? To induce terror. Because it is easier to control someone who is in a panic, who is terrified, right? Because they do stupid things. So don't allow the devil to control you with terror. Way too many Christians are controlled by fear rather than faith. It's okay to have those feelings, but we need to have the right perspective when it comes down to it and be people of faith and not fear and terror. And so what is, actually it's interesting, what is Peter's response to that? He says in the end of verse 8, be alert and of sober mind." You see, that's the foundation that we can have as Christians in dangerous and terrifying situations. To be alert is to be aware of the devil's work, to be aware that there is danger, but that doesn't mean you're just going to turn around and run away from it. It just means that you're going to be ready for it. And so, like, for instance, what has happened in Ukraine, here's the thing. We never planned for the war. You know, so as Americans, we like to make plans, you know. We like to, Here's my year plan, right? And it never includes an invasion from Russia. And as Christians, sometimes I think we need to do less planning and just more preparation. Because we can always prepare for it. And so that's why even I look at some of these churches in Ukraine, I see some that have been able to pivot and to minister, and and now they're baptizing people, and they're reaching the lost. And why? Was it because they knew a war was going to start? No, they didn't know. But they were always in the preparation mode, ministry-wise. They were always preparing themselves, strengthening themselves in the faith, ready to preach the gospel. And that's what we as people need to do. That's what Americans need to do. Because there are going to be new challenges and difficulties and dangers that you and I do not know about and cannot plan for. But we can prepare our hearts and our souls for them. By turning to God, strengthening our faith, pursuing the gospel, and living for Him. So we need to be alert and of sober mind. You know, God does not want us to live in a place of terror. Those should be moments. They shouldn't typify our whole life. And Jesus is very clear about this in John 14, 27. He says, Peace, I leave you. My peace I give you, I do not give you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be what? Troubled. So this is not an automatic thing, is it? Say so don't be aware of this and don't let it happen. It's very easy. It's very easy for Christina and I to let our hearts be troubled when we watch the news. And, and we, we pay attention to what's going on in Ukraine. And it's very easy to let our hearts be troubled. But we need to have that underlying peace that gives us stability even in these times. And so how did David manage that for himself and we have to go back to the beginning of the psalm to see this but we see that david made powerful statements of faith very powerful statements of faith you know so important to think about our own faith specifically and we see that here in verse one he says in you lord i have taken refuge first of all that's an acknowledgement that there's danger right because you don't take refuge until you realize there's a danger it's also acknowledgement that the Lord is the only true refuge, right? He's the only true safe place. And so many people ask, Oh, you're going back to Ukraine? Isn't it dangerous there? I say, Yeah, of course it is. So what? I mean, why are you telling me that? The Lord is my refuge, right? And in fact, the first time that you know I was I was back in, in Ukraine, uh, it was first week in April, I and mean, the first time after the war started. And, you know, that was, uh, I came in on Saturday, and you know, it's it's, it's a little sobering because you go through all these military checkpoints and lots of these uh, tank, you know, anti-tank uh, hedgehogs on the roads everywhere, and lots of trenches dug everywhere. And uh, but you get into town, and town is a lot was a lot quieter, not as many, not nearly as many cars on the road. Of course, you don't really have fuel at the gas station, so that kind of Keeps, keeps things quieter. Curfew at night from 8 p.m. until 7 a.m., I think it was at that time. And went to bed. It was cold. They'd already shut the heat off for the year, although it was only beginning of April. And 4 o'clock in the morning, air raid siren goes off. Now, you know, we're technically advanced people, so uh, if you've never lived in a place where we have air raids, we have an app for air raids. And so, so, actually, I'm not kidding. We have an app. So, so we have an app I got on my phone, you know, and air raid goes off. Christine's got on her phone too, and and she like me, "Kiel, are you safe? Are you okay?" Air raid goes off. Like, what do you do? We live on the fourth floor of a nine-story building. Uh, where do you take refuge, right? So, when there's danger, you want to take refuge. So, what we do is you try to go to the middle of your apartment, the middle of your home. And what they say is try to at least have two walls between you and the outside. You don't want to be next to a window because even the the repercussion from the blast, the blast wave can break your windows and you can get cut up and stuff like that. And so, of course, our bedroom has a window in it, so I go and I go to the toilet because that's the only place that has two walls in our small apartment. I sit on the toilet for, I don't know, 40 minutes or something. I'm cold. I'm tired. I want to go back to sleep. I know I gotta preach in the morning, thinking, "Man, I'm gonna be all tired, and I gotta preach." I'm like, this air raid keeps going on. I'm like, you know what? I'm just gonna trust the Lord and go go back to bed. So I go back to bed and just kind of like try to lay on the side that's away from the window and cover my head with blankets just in case the glass breaks, you know. And then I'm woken up again, maybe I don't know, 40 minutes later, but this time not by the air raid siren, but by the explosions. Like, I'll go back to the toilet why so I, I go back to the toilet and there's there's some big ones and and, uh, and right around 6 a.m they, they calm down and I go look out the window. That's a very strange cloud out there. It's not a cloud. it's just a column of big black smoke coming up. they'd hit the oil refinery with four or five missiles that morning. And you know that seems kind of scary and if you look at the situation you think, wow that's, that's scary. You don't want to be there. But that was Sunday morning. So now I'm thinking, I'm not to go to church, right? you got to drive right past those places they hit going to church. So we get in the car, go to church. And, you know, we get there, and the church is full. That didn't stop people from coming to worship, from coming to fellowship, from coming to hear the gospel. And I looked at the church that morning, I thought, you know, and, and not only is the church full, but the church I was at that morning was a church that half of the people had left. Left the country. And it was still full. That tells you something too, right? And I looked at that and I thought, you know, God is doing something greater here, isn't he? People have a desire for the gospel. They have a desire to worship. And I think it's so important that in these difficult circumstances, we learn to see God's grand context. What is God really doing here? David says, I've taken refuge in you, and then yet in the middle of this chapter, we see this almost like this claustrophobic type of a picture where he says, I, I'm closed in on, on all sides and everything is going bad and there's terror on every side. But we need to recognize even if there's terror on every side here, God is outside of all of that and around all of that and in all of that. And it's so important that we look at that grander context and i think that david as he mentions this i've taken refuge in the lord he's reminding himself of those initial steps of faith that he took maybe as a youth where he put his faith in god and he made that important step of of finding his his eternal salvation in god alone and i think it's important for us to remember that and be reminded of that at times so we don't lose focus of that in our life but notice what he also says here. We go down a little further. Verse 5, he says, Into your hands I commit my spirit. You see, this isn't some theoretical talk. This is real. David is saying, my whole life, it's in your hands. I commit it to you. And even if I die, what he's saying here is, I am ready to die. And who, do, who said this later? Jesus did, right? And when did he say it? When he was ready to die, right? And so David is saying here, into your hands I commit my spirit, deliver me, Lord, my faithful God. David was ready to die because he knew where he would be. And, you know, if we want to get over terror and fear about dangerous things that could happen to us, the one most important thing that we can do right now is to be ready to die. Because that trumps all terrors, doesn't it? And, and that's that's what we have as Christians. is We have that privilege of being said, I'm ready to die, and so I can walk that direction even though everyone else is afraid. I can walk there with the gospel because I know where I'm going. And that's exactly what David was saying here. Jesus says this in Luke 23, verse 46. Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. When he had said this, he breathed his last. We see a similar statement from Stephen in Acts 7, 59. While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. He was ready to die and, he lost his life. It's interesting that I, I think, so we've been, we kept pretty close contact with our sending church, both just for the spiritual support and also so they would know what we're doing. And we had decisions that we needed to make as we left Ukraine. Uh, first of all, we made a decision to stay in Ukraine until the war started, which I think was very important, that we could continue to minister there. And and then in April, when we decided to go back, uh, I called them and said, listen, guys, you know, we're kind of, we got all of our internationals out, and now we feel like we need to go back in and start ministering to the people who are still there. And our home church in Geek Harbor, Discovery Baptist, uh, Pastor Chris Rogers, really supported us in that. They said, Listen, if, if you believe that God is calling you back there, who are we to stand in the way of that? And we're so thankful for their support. But one of the things that he said to me was, He said, Well, Caleb, are you ready to die? So, you know, it's easy to say, you know, yeah, I'm ready to die for Christ when you're in America and everything's safe and you're not really expecting it, right? But where there's a little more danger, you gotta think about it a little bit more. So I said, Well, you know, Philippians one twenty one, for me to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Yeah, I think I'm ready. So I went, came back, and then I don't know, maybe it was a little bit later, another trip, he said, Caleb are your kids ready for you to die? Well, that's a little different question. I said, well, I mean, we've talked about it. They know there's danger there and everything. But I'll sit them down and we'll talk with them about it. And so that evening I gathered them, have a little family time, and sat them down and said, listen, you know, I think Christine and I were going back to Ukraine. We're, go- we're going back to Ukraine this, this weekend. We'll be there for a couple of days. There are some dangers there. And are you guys ready if if I were to die? I said, yeah, of course. It's like, and it's... I thought you'd hesitate at least a little bit. I think about it a little bit, you know? Like, no, yeah, well, of course. They're like, We'd rather have you die there than die of a heart attack at McDonald's or something in America. Yeah. But certainly, it was an encouragement to us that, in fact, our kids were one of the most strongest proponents that we need to go back to Ukraine. And we took them back to Ukraine in May, and some people disagreed with that decision, but our kids didn't. And they said if somebody disagrees, let me talk to them. So they were they were very much wanting to go back to Ukraine. I'm glad that we were able to take them back in, in May. So he says also in verse seven here, he says, I will be glad and rejoice in your love. And that's a statement of faith, isn't it? He doesn't say, I am rejoicing. Because probably he was in a situation where he didn't really feel like rejoicing, particularly, specifically. But he's making a statement of faith here, that when you're in a dangerous, difficult, tragic circumstance, that you and I, we can say with faith, I will rejoice again. Because all difficulties, all tragic circumstances are, All dangers, all pain is temporary. But God's peace and God's joy and God's grace and God's love are eternal. And so whatever it is that I am facing, when I recognize that that is temporary, but what God has given me is eternal, then I can with faith say, I will rejoice. And so David by faith says, I will rejoice and be glad. I'll be glad and rejoice in your love. And so if you are grieving now, If you are afraid now, if you are in pain now, know that these are temporary and joy will come again. So David has a strong faith here, but that faith is, of course, made stronger by looking to God himself. And so as he builds up and all this middle section that we already talked about, where it's just dark and and very difficult and terrifying but then, look how quick he turns around in verse fourteen as he reaches that peak in verse thirteen, and in verse fourteen he says, "But you see, I'm not done there, I'm not ending this psalm in verse thirteen with terror, but I trust in you, lord that I mean that's the ultimate rebuttal to all of this, isn't it? See, trusting in the Lord isn't just some sort of theoretical theological sort of idea out there in the clouds that doesn't have any practical impact on your life and how you live your life and how you react to things. There is a huge difference. It's just that when everything is sort of more or less going okay in our lives, sometimes it's a little bit hard to see which person really trusts in the Lord and which person doesn't, but just send a few missiles and then you'll find the people that say, but I trust in the Lord. And you won't find the people that say, I don't trust in the Lord, because they'll be gone. But I trust in you, Lord. I say, you are my God. What a powerful statement. What a powerful theological understanding to know that we belong to God. And I think it's important that we speak these truths in these difficult times. And he says a few other things as as we come here quickly to the end of this chapter. He says, uh, in verse 19, he says, How abundant are the good things that you have stored up for those who fear you. Again, now he's looking to the future, right? He began by looking at the past, those initial steps of faith he made where he says, I have, I've already taken refuge in you. And then he looked at the present where he is currently in a terrifying situation, but he knows that he trusts in the Lord right now. And now he looks into the future and he says, how abundant are those good things that you have stored up? You see, we, we haven't received all of God's goodness, goodness practically here now, have we? Because some of that's stored up for us is waiting for us in heaven. We have just tasted a little bit of it. And he's looking with faith to the future he even says that God is protecting I think in verse 20 where he says in the shelter of your presence you hide them he's he's actually talking about these good things that God has stored up for us they have God's guarantee that he is going to protect them any gift that God gives you there's no one in the world that can take it away from you no war no sickness, no Putin, no Russia. (laughs) No one can take away the things that God has given to you and me. And finally, as as we look towards the end of this, I think this is important to remember as well. And that is, as we look at verse 21, he says, praise be to the Lord. So he turns this all around. It begins really by focusing on David. His situation and all turns around, and by the end, who are we looking at? We're looking at God, aren't we? He's praising God. Kind of reminds me of Paul and Silas, you know, singing in the prison, right? And he's praising God, and I think that he's doing this in a public manner. He's doing this in a public manner. He is encouraging us, and he's encouraging others, and he is being He is testifying to God's salvation and God's protection and God's greatness during these difficult times. And so he says, praise be to the Lord. And in verse 23, he says, love the Lord. Now, he's not only praising the Lord, but he is calling the congregation. So listen, you need to love the Lord. He is the one who protects you. He is the one who keeps you safe. You need to love him. And there's... There's so much. I I guess I I never really understood that connection between love and the ability to overcome fear. So if you look with me in 1 John 4.18, it says this. There is no fear in love, right? How does that work? But perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. I think there's a couple ways that we can understand that, why John said that. But. If you talk about love and you talk about fear, you see, love for the Christian is the greatest motivating factor, isn't it? So what happens when you love someone and they are in a dangerous situation, your love overcomes any fear of going to them and helping them because you're putting yourself in danger too, right? And love overcomes the fear. And so some of us ask us, why are you going back there now? Well, we love the Ukrainian people. We, we want to minister to them and we want to help them and we want them to have hope. And, and that love that we have, it honestly, you know, it kind of puts fear in second place or third or fourth or wherever. And we just want to go. And, and so there is a strong connection there. But there's the other side of it as well, right? When we know that God loves us. That also calms our fears, doesn't it? Because we know that he's not a vindictive, controlling, punishing God just for the sake of his own pleasure. But he's a God that loves. And that also helps us to calm our fears. And so then finally we see in verse 24, David ends on a very powerful note. He says, be strong and take heart all you who hope in the Lord. But don't we need that today? Be strong and take heart. Because guess what? If you want to live for the Lord, and if you want to pursue His righteousness and His goodness, and pursue the gospel in your life, you are going to be confronted with some difficult and dangerous situations. You don't have to go to Ukraine to do that. And so we need to be strong and take heart. David doesn't leave us doubting here he doesn't leave us doubting of where he ends in all of this the lord has given him strength and has encouraged his heart and we want to tell you also that that we also are very encouraged and we're excited to go back to ukraine despite some of the dangers there but you know what honestly many people take greater dangers going on vacation May we take those dangers for the gospel and for Christ. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the fact that you are powerful and mighty to save, that you are with us. And I thank you that you are working in very mighty ways in Ukraine, Lord. And we pray for an end to the war. We pray for peace and safety. and pray especially for our brothers and sisters who are there now. And we thank you that you've given many of them the courage to continue to Preach the gospel, Lord, but we pray that you protect them. Uh, We pray especially for those who are in Russian-occupied areas where there is a lot more danger, Lord. We pray for your protection of them as well. And uh, I pray that you would uh, encourage us and strengthen our hearts to be strong and to pursue your righteousness, to pursue the gospel, despite any kinds of barriers or uh, difficulties or or any dangers that might be in our way, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Kayla. And let's
0: stand and close our service with uh,
4: song, Your Grace Finds Me, regardless of your situation.